Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisila. Welcome to Business as Unusual. I'm here today with the conflict doctor, Dr. Kathy Gonzalez. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have this conversation. Before we dive into conflict, or maybe we won't, maybe this will also be conflict. What hobby of yours do you think would surprise folks you know? I think that folks who know me would be really surprised that in the, what is it, almost seven years I've been in Omaha now, that I have really gotten into gardening. And now, yeah, and not flowers, but food. Yeah, so I've been growing my veggies, my tomatoes, and my corn, and my, I have a little herb garden, my kale, my chard, my spinach, my cucumbers. Yeah, so every year I add something new. So I tried I tried carrots two years in a row and they, they came out stunted. Mm-hmm. So this year, I'm not going to try carrots. I'm going to try sweet potatoes. I tried sweet potatoes once and I think I got maybe two sweet potatoes. So this year I'm going to go hard on sweet potatoes. But yeah, I think people will be really surprised by that because I am not known for having a green thumb at all. In fact, I'm more probably known for being a plant killer. <laughs> So what made you decide as a plant killer to garden? It was a project that I'm the member of a group called Internations. It's the Omaha chapter, because I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, for expats who are residing in Omaha. And I got the opportunity to get a plot from, at that time I was teaching at Creighton University, and I couldn't do the plot by myself. So I asked the group, hey, does anybody want to do this? This seems like a cool thing. And there were other people in the group who loved gardening. But since my name was on the plot, I had to go there and be with them. So I gradually got roped into doing more than just stand here with the hose, move over in that corner, (laughs) make sure that you wet these plants. Yeah, so that's how I, yeah, that's how I got into this. That's fantastic. I grew up in suburbs. I didn't have a lot of experience with gardening. And I remember when I planted my first tomato plant, I was like 23 or 24. And there was something just felt so miraculous about it's a very simple, normal thing. Mm -hmm. But watching something go from a seed into Mm -hmm. the plant, and then I love tomatoes and then eating it, there's I felt different as a human I don't know maybe that sounds ridiculous but it was just such a powerfully impactful experience for me yeah it does not sound ridiculous at all it really is it is it is amazing and you feel so proud of yourself Mm -hmm. and so empowered look at me picking my tomato and slicing it over my salad you just feel that it's awesome yeah and I was really I I'm in Colorado now and you really have to have a lot of skill to grow things here so I have not been very successful but (laughs) <laughs> yeah so it's but it's still i think a it's such a reju- and they've shown too that people's mental health and their immune systems are stronger when they garden it turns yeah. out yeah so um, there we go there you go yeah now let's move into your business and talk about what you do and a, a little bit about how that exists and we'll go forward from there okay 
So I, I style myself as an organizational conflict management consultant. So I offer my services exclusively to nonprofits and social enterprises. And I chose nonprofits and social enterprises when I had the opportunity to start consulting this particular iteration of my consulting life. Because I, when I came to Omaha, I had the opportunity to do a lot of work with nonprofits. And I really admired the grit that all nonprofits exhibit. Nonprofits, and I have this, I have this analogy on my website. I'm deep into the Marvel universe. So for me, nonprofits are superheroes. They really, literally are trying to save whatever corner of the world they have decided to shine a light on. And they do that with sometimes very little resources, whether it's of the financial type or the human type, under circumstances that would usually throw the best of us, and they keep going. And what I realized working with nonprofits is that the reluctance to, to face conflict when it rears its head, because not surprisingly, most organizations are conflict avoidant, as are most people. The, 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 that was like a weight on the cape of these nonprofits. And that it seemed to me if I could use my skill to move that weight from off of the cape that all nonprofits wear, they would then be able to soar so much higher and so much farther and really increase the impact on the communities that they serve. So yeah, that's how I started this business. In terms of how I do my work, I developed a, a three-step system, assessment, co-creation, and transformation. So how I approach my clients, I initially really exhort them to engage in an assessment of what is the conflict climate in their organization. So they may come, they usually come to me when they have a particular problem, but I encourage them to do an organization-wide conflict assessment because that usually brings to light lots of hidden pockets of conflict that when people have the opportunity to anonymously see what are some of the things that they might be harboring? Usually organizational leaders are really quite surprised at sometimes how deep and how broad. Yeah. Um, so we do that assessment initially. Then we move on to a co-creation where I work actively with the organization in partnership, because it's a partnership, in partnership for us to develop processes and other methodologies to deal with what was unused in that assessment. I know what I know. I have this expertise. But involving the persons who are going to be the participants in a training, the participants in a workshop, who are going to go through an online course, involving them in creating a course, whether their input goes into what examples I use or what case studies we might look at, having them see the particular wording that they used in the assessment to describe a conflict scenario, having that reflected in an introduction, having some of the issues that they identified come up as rationale or as learning objectives, is really impactful in terms of letting people 
be a part of their own journey, having them play a part in the design of how they're going to get themselves moving forward. That to me is critical. I have been a participant in very many trainings where somebody comes in as the expert. And they, they say a lot of things that are great, but then they say a lot of things and they spend a lot of time on things that I already know or on things that have no place in my experience mm -hmm. so that I find it hard to connect with material. And that is something I did not want to replicate in my own process. Then the, the third aspect is transformation. So this is where we take whatever processes and methodologies we came up with. So if it's an online education course, for instance, so we go into Thinkific and I've developed a course on challenging conversations. So we decide, yes, we're going we're gonna to allow participants to engage in that material. We're probably going to have one or two live workshops where I can do other, whatever we come up with. The transformation part of it is where I give the support. So I do conflict coaching on two levels in the transformation phase. I do conflict coaching for the teams, so I style it as office hours, where as persons experience the live workshop or as they go through an online training course and they have questions and they send me those questions, there is a forum where we can expand on, on their question in the presence of others, where they can ask other questions, because some people do well asking questions on the fly. Other learners do well as where they can compose their thought into a well-formulated, maybe multi-part question, and they send it to me through like a discussion forum. So I am there to give them support as they test out the tools that we've learned together. Then I also do one-on-one -on -one conflict coaching for leaders in the nonprofit space because I have found that that is really important. A lot of, maybe surprisingly, maybe unsurprisingly, a lot of what comes out in the assessment sometimes directly connects to leaders or leadership style. So that it's really important for leaders to receive that feedback in a way that isn't soul crushing, but also have the space, the private space, where confidentially we can deal with what might be their roadblocks and what might be their opportunities. In doing conflict coaching for leaders, we touch on all aspects of leadership. So we talk about communication, we talk about team building, we talk about change management, but all seen through a conflict lens because each of these things has a conflict component mm -hmm. and people just, they don't see it that way until the conflict arises. So I, so people sometimes shy away from the word conflict when I say there might be conflict in your organization. No, we don't have conflict in our organization. We have tough knots, tough knots. Or we have maybe just a couple of issues with communication. It's because there's conflict. So people are loath to use that word, but it shows up in every single leadership space, every single leadership issue. So that by using a conflict lens, I dig deeper and I'm able to therefore go broader with executives about how they show up in their organizations. It helps them be able to take that leadership role in conflict as well. And it really does have an impact on the organization when team members recognize that they're leaders, even though this is a hard thing and it is so excruciating sometimes. Mm -hmm. It is a hard thing. I have seen organizations push, push 
right to the brink as a consequence of conflict and the impact that it has on their mission, on the team, on their communities. But seeing leaders be uncomfortable and wading through that discomfort to get to the other side is really inspiring for the team in terms of, wow, they are ready to get down here in the trenches with me and do this hard thing and not just pass it off. And it humanizes them in a real way. And it also connects them with the issues that are really impacting their teams. Because when a leader is part of an, a conflict exercise, for instance, and they hear the perspectives of the issue that the entire organization has been struggling with for months from the finance team or from the operations team or from the program management side of it, they get a really holistic picture of all the knots that are involved and what it might take to move that conflict forward uh, to a place of resolution, to a place of opportunity. So, yeah, so that's like the long, long-winded version of the, the short, the three-letter acronym that I've developed for the way in which I work with nonprofits. It sounds really important. I, I feel like that, I mean, everything, everything that lives has conflict. And if we know how to engage effectively and respectfully with other folks, I feel like it makes an organization stronger, a relationship stronger, community stronger when there is space for those things to be aired and engaged around as opposed to, you know, ignored, pushed away, hidden, because they still come up. It's not that it's not like what you were saying. It's always there. It's just that is it being addressed, acknowledged and dealt with, or is it coming out in sideways ways that are often really destructive? Correct. And, And that's what happens with any conflict that's ignored or that's avoided. It it sits in the corner and it just gets bigger and bigger and people get more and more resentful or hurt or shut down until one day something really small might happen. And that would be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Then there's a huge explosion. There's mess everywhere. And sometimes it might be too far gone to have the kind of fix that might have been possible if the conflict had been unearthed and dealt with and all its hairy, thorny, just awfulness earlier rather than later. Yeah. I used to tell people I was conflict avoidant because I like to address it early. And and my friend corrected me. She said, no, you're crisis avoidant. Conflict avoidant is when you don't want to talk about it. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting distinction. I don't want the big conflict. So I want to deal with it now. So I'm avoiding that. She said, no, that's not it. (laughs) You're crisis avoidant. I'm like, okay, that's fair. Yes, (laughs) and that's what it, that, that is what I try to do. That's what I want to avoid. I want to avoid people coming to me in moments of crisis yeah. because there isn't that much that I can do for you at that stage. They have, the meltdown will probably have to, go, have to go through and then I can help you design processes that will prevent this from happening again. But by then there might've been relationship damage. There might've been donor damage. There might've been community damage. And now the organization is that much farther back because in addition to their good work, they now have to do relationship repair. They breach trust. And it's really negatively weighing them down. Yeah. So what inspired you to iterate to this version of your consulting? I think it was probably 
it was opportunity because like in my first consulting iteration, I did mediation and consulting for the courts. So I designed system for the courts because my first career, I was a family lawyer and trans transferring out of the dynamics of family conflict. Because I was a lawyer, I ended up working with the court system in my home country of Trinidad and Tobago to help make the family court system a little bit more friendly to families in conflict. Because the adversarial system is very hard on families. It's hard on all people. Because it's designed that way. It is meant to do exactly what it does. But for a family situation where relationships are literally till death, it's not ideal. So I started working with the courts to design a mediation system that would help families as an alternative to litigation. And working with the judicial system, I began to see the issues that plagued families also plagued organizations because they're relationships, right? And they're no different other than the romantic or that kind of intimate quality is absent. But it's relationship. And I think that really piqued my interest because in introducing that system that was to help families, I ended up having trained judges and magistrates and probation officers and all the persons that were peripheral in the court system to make that system work because it couldn't be that you were want to encourage the public to try mediation for what is their most intimate relationship. But then everybody else that they're seeing around them as they interact with other parts of the court system are being adversarial in how they speak with each other, in how they deal with members of the public. So it was, you know what, I need to train this entire organization to have everybody on the same page in terms of what the tools are. So that at any point litigant tries to access the system, they get the same message. But that they are then encouraged to, oh, if the court system itself is using this, then I could probably trust it to use this for my intimate relationship. And from working with the courts, I started working with other organizations. And then when I came to Omaha, that's where my work with nonprofits really took off. And of course, the same, not... Same issues that I saw in for-profits, I saw in non-profits, because again, relationships. So that's what, in 2020, when I had the opportunity to start consulting again, I thought long and hard. I took three months mm -hmm. to think about who do you want to offer this service to? Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself that, yeah, it's going to be non-profits. That makes sense. So you answered this, but I, I'm if and if you don't have more to say, no worries. But the who do you typically work with, or who thrives with your service, in terms of obviously people who are not at a crisis point aren't necessarily going to thrive, although they could, right, from prevention. Mm -hmm. But if you could say ideally, this is who I would be working with, or the space they would be in when they come to me. Do you have a scope for that, or a sense of it? Um, this has not happened as yet. Usually people come to me when they are in crisis. But ideally, I like through my writings, I like to encourage organizations, organizational leaders to come to me now when things might be good. Because this gives the organization the opportunity to really have the time to learn. Yeah. And to prepare themselves for what might be coming. Yeah. 
as opposed to when they typically come to me, which is when there's a fire. It may not be a huge conflagration, but there's a fire. Mm. So that we have to spend time putting the fire out and then rebuilding relationships throughout the organization because people are always watching to see how you deal with that particular fire. And then other little fires start popping up because they're like, oh, as a consequence of that, there's this. So we spend a lot of time in crisis mode, as you alluded to earlier, which is not ideal for learning because we don't have time. We don't have the time it takes, the time necessarily to practice these skills when things aren't heated. So ideally, coming to me now when, you know, we, we have a, a couple issues, but there are no big raging fires that we need to put out, would be best. But if you have a crisis, by all means, we can deal with dealing with the crisis right now and then designing that there's a co-creation part, designing a process of learning in a way that what have we learned from the crisis situation? And let's roll it out from there. So we may not necessarily start where I like to start, which is at the beginning, what is conflict? What is your conflict style? But we may start at the end. Okay, what did we see? From there, what 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 do we not want to do again, or not want to happen, and then work it back? So yeah. So it's would you say a typical problem that you solve uh, for an organization is the identifying how they got to that crisis, or it, or would it be? I mean, in terms of your, I know there's like your step process, but is there a typical way that it shows up? Or is that just really organizationally dependent? It is organizationally dependent because it really depends on if we're at DEFCON 1 or DEFCON 5. If we're at DEFCON 5, it probably means an immediate intervention, whether by way of a facilitated meeting or mediation or maybe some conflict coaching because the parties are so super heated. So do some separate conflict coaching with them before they can even meet for us to do a mediation or do a facilitated discussion. But it would be, how do we ramp it down from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 4 to DEFCON 3? And then once we've contained the situation, okay, what is the organizational learning that we can now implement as a consequence of of this crisis that had flared up? What's the best advice that you've received or given or both? This doesn't necessarily have to do with conflict because this piece of advice does connect to conflict, but it's also life advice. And it was given to me by my mentor when I first started practicing law at 24 years old because we come through the British system, so we don't have to do a first degree. So I came straight from high school into the law program, into law school and at 23 turning 24, I was an attorney at law. And he told me that, and this is a cricket analogy because Trinidad and Tobago, where I'm originally from, is was a British colony. So in the game of cricket, you can score runs. It's very similar to baseball. You can score runs depending on how far you hit the ball. So you can score four runs or you can score six runs. And those are big hits. But you can also score singles. They take a lot longer, but you can win a game on singles. So it requires a lot of patience, a lot of plotting, 
but also good technique. And he told me that you do not always win the game by sixes and fours, but sometimes by singles mm-hmm. in relation to how my career may unfold, in relation to how a particular court matter that I was dealing with might unfold. But it also applies to conflict and conflict resolution in organizations and the attitude that leaders um, ideally would have toward conflict work that we may have score a big hit. I may do a module on facilitated meetings and people may be like, oh my God, that was the absolute best thing that you could have told me right now, right here. And that's great. But sometimes it's the plotting. It's mm-hmm. the, hey, I'm having office hours next week. I'll be there on Tuesday and Thursday between two and three, mountain time. If you want to join, if you have any questions about a challenging conversation that's coming up for you, or if there's any thorny issue with that, hasn't really reached the level that you want to maybe talk to the other person about it, but you want some advice in terms of what better communication you might employ in order to head it off in the past. Meet me next week. It may be that, but eventually you will get to where you, you need to go. That sounds like great advice. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I, what do you do to keep yourself inspired when it gets hard to believe in your dream or you're dealing with something that feels particularly draining you know how do you recharge i step away because mm-hmm. i'm an extroverted introvert so when i'm on but in order to recharge i need to step away so if i'm feeling less inspired or frustrated i go for a long walk so i can think thoughts i spend a lot of time thinking thoughts <laughs> but i read land my couch and read i cook I, if it's summertime, I go out into my garden. I may just lie on my porch and think thoughts. But stepping away from it is helpful. And then focusing on what might be a small win also reminds me that all is not lost because I can be very type A and very perfectionist in my approach to my work. And like, why is this not working? It's me. I need to try harder. I need to do more. I really get into my head sometimes and focusing on a small win is really helpful for me because it's okay. All is not lost. I had this and what identifying because I like to go into the why of things. So mm-hmm. why did this work? Why was this a win? What caused this to be successful? Maybe I could just do that again and see if I get the same result. Uh, and that sends me off in a positive spin because I'm very much a problem solver. Mm-hmm. Eldest child syndrome, that (laughs) I have never met a problem that I do not want to solve. So once I've identified why it is I'm feeling demotivated, why it is I'm feeling frustrated, why it is I'm feeling less than inspired, it's really helpful to then refocus my energy in terms of, okay, so how can I get the spark back? What can I do? Shall I do this? What about this? Or maybe this? So that's like the cycle that I go through. That does sound helpful. I I relate to that. Focusing on a small win and being a problem solver. I just like to figure things out. Uh, what is this? How does that fit together? It's like exactly untangling a knot right? or something. It's a it's like a it's a combination like rational creative expression. Yeah. Oh, it always I feels that. so yeah. good. It does because it's just those layers. It's like, why do you feel this way? Because so, why do you feel that? because yeah. this? What? And then you hit on it and you're like, aha, got it. Now I know which direction I need to run off in. So what does success look like to you? Like, how does this uh, I guess, what's different in the world or what's the impact you seek to have? 
So success, let's see. So success at the executive level when I do one-on-one coaching. Success looks like the leader that I'm coaching achieving a professional goal that they might have had. So if I had a global manager become a global vice president and he was able to make that jump because there was some communication style stuff that we needed to work on. And there was real improvement to the point where this company thought, okay, you're ready now. So there's that. There is people telling me how much better they are. When we do self-evaluations, when we do one-on-one evaluation, and I ask them the question, what value do you think I added? And them telling me how they have seen their own growth, both in their professional as well as in their personal relationships. Oh my gosh, that gives me such a thrill to know that these skills have carried over and they don't, they haven't siloed it as just, I'm learning this because I am at work and I want to be successful at my job, but that they're able to take the skills and transfer them to other relationships. I, I love hearing that. Yeah, I can imagine that's very fulfilling to feel the impact of that. So much. I like as well hearing from members of the communities that the organization serves, what they have learned about dealing with conflict from looking at the person in the organization. So if, for instance, I'm preparing an organization to do an intervention in a particular community, So we've done some facilitated meetings, we've done some facilitation training, we've done some conflict work in terms of how we're going to deal with conflict when it comes up with the community, if we get pushback and so on. And they go into the community and then I come back and I do an evaluation of the organization after their intervention in the community and I interview community members to get an external perspective. And the community members say, you know what really impressed me was how well they were able to communicate. And they did this. And I hear them recite the steps that I know I taught. I'm like, yes, that, oh my God, that feels amazing. Mm -hmm. Because not only does the organization see that the community learned from them, not necessarily what they went there to deliver, but something else, something extraneous, that they were able to model that without even knowing that the community members were looking on and absorbing that knowledge. It really gives the organization a huge bump in terms of, oh my gosh, we're not only impacting internally, we're impacting externally because we are so much better at unearthing, examining, and resolving conflict. Um, So when they see that two-way learning, that's awesome. And then just to see the organization thrive again, that I get through quality, more, more likely qualitative than quantitative measurement, asking those questions. How has your organization grown from this training, for instance? And they say, no, I've noticed we, we still make mistakes, but that's okay because now everybody's on the same page. We all have the same vocabulary. We all talk the same language. We can always refer back to your handouts or your exercises. I, that for me is success. When I realize that people are using the tools and they are seeing real change. Yeah, no, that is a, it's a, it's such a powerful place to be, to see that, Mm -hmm. to see something that you've created 
have that kind of impact. And yeah, that's fantastic. So for our listeners that are super psyched about this and they want to hire you or follow you or learn more about what you're up to or how to get connected, what's the best way for them to do that? I think the best way, most straightforward way would be to send me an email at hello at drkathygonzalez.com. So Dr. D-R, Kathy, K-H-Y, Gonzalez, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S.com. Just maybe they don't necessarily need to go into the details in that email, but just letting me know maybe just their general area of interest. Usually people want to know more. So then we can set up an informational call where we can talk a little bit deeper about what's going on in their organization. And then we take it from there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. and. Look forward to hearing more about what you're up to. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me.